Do you not just love to hear how God's word speaks to people? And what a precious story for you to share with us, Diane. We are just uh, delighted for you and your husband and for the new journey that you've begun. He, uh, it's never too late with the Lord, is it? Never too late. He has that plan for us, and you can be sure that it's exactly right in his timing. Jocelyn was a great blessing to us, too, wasn't she? she <laughs> thank you, Jocelyn. You'll be hearing from her again, too, and I bet your little girls just sing all around the house with you, don't they? Yep. They probably don't even have to have an audience like I used to have. So. <laughs> it's now my pleasure to introduce Sharon Nelson, who is our speaker today. Uh, again, what a privilege to get to know women that you didn't know before you walk in the door, and yet there's an instant connection. And that's what God does for us, doesn't he? He just made women in such a way that we can relate quickly and uh, deeply. So I am thoroughly uh, excited to hear about what she will have to say. She says that she's an ordinary woman who has encountered an extraordinary God. And isn't that the truth? Isn't that the truth? By ourselves, we are nothing but with him. Uh, he can do mighty things through us. Um, she's dedicated to the pursuit of God and to helping others find encouragement, wisdom, and uplift that the scripture can bring in their daily experience. An encourager, that's certainly her gift, and she's shown us already that with her ready smile and praying together. She's also a Bible teacher and conference teacher. She is a devotee of Southern Charm, so I bet she cooks some good grits. That's what I'm hoping for. Um, she is also um, has a pattern of establishing Bible studies in whatever neighborhood God places her. Sounds like Northeast Women's Bible Study, doesn't it? And that's certainly our heart. And she also has three grown children and five grandchildren with number six on the way. So we'll be praying for number six, Sharon. Join me in welcoming Sharon as she shares her story with us. <laughs> Thank you, friends. Um, I've looked so forward to seeing you all this morning, and I have faces here that um, could bring me to tears. I love you so much. Um, I have a, um, been enrolled in the School of Faith for 40-some years, and I'm working on an advanced degree in the School of Hard Knocks. Um, God has a way of bringing us to himself. And isn't it wonderful to hear the stories? Someone has said that every one of us has at least one book in us. And one of the critics says, yes, and that's where it should stay. <laughs> but I disagree. I think our stories connect us. I think we need the stories. And I think as we tell our stories, we see a bigger God than any one of us experiences alone. And the thing is, they're all true stories, and they're nonfiction. And they're full of sound and fury and drama and everything in between. And I don't know where you are this morning in the book of your life that God is writing. And make no mistake, he is the script writer. He ordains our portion and our cup, and our lot is secure. I don't know if you are just establishing the plot 
or if you've got a subplot going on. And some of you are deep in the plot thickening, (laughs) and I've been there too. And some here today may be nearing the end of their story, and some stories, after all, are short stories. And none of us knows where the end will be. But if you are a Christian, I can tell you how it will end. It will end happy ever after, no matter what you have today. And the worst that you'll ever know if you're believers here, and it's not that bad. (laughs) But the best you'll ever know if you aren't a Christian is here, and there's an eternity ahead. I'm here to tell you this morning my story. And in, uh, in my story and in your story, there is a sentence. Some people call it a life verse. But there's one sentence that will sum up why you're here. God's purpose for you. I call it a life sentence. I told my daughter I was going to talk about life sentences, and she said, well, that's grim. (laughs) You'd have to know my daughter. She wants a picture, and she got one. But we all have a life sentence, and your life sentence will teach. And your life sentence has to do with your family, the family that God put you in. And I don't know about your family, but my family has consistently had some limbs that produce good fruit. And then it also has another side that is prolific in producing some real nuts. (laughs) I don't know which side I'm on. And we're fond of saying that all the coconuts in our family are not in the trees. (laughs) But our family stories teach. And one of my friends who happens to be here today said in her family line they have enough material for a Faulkner novel. (laughs) And some of you do too. And some of us are not sure how the story is going to turn out for the family tree, but nobody's hacked mine down yet. And I'm so thankful that God put me in the family that he put me in because he put me there to teach me a whole lot about humility and to teach me a whole lot about love because one thing my family knows how to do, they know how to love people. And I'm so thankful for that. I want to share a little bit about my story and how I came to find my life sentence. I was born in a little hamlet called Mary in North Carolina at the foothills of the Appalachian Mountains to a couple that were trying desperately to dig out of poverty, and things were just about to get worse. When I was 11 months old, my mother told me, and I went over the story with her yesterday because I wanted to get the details straight, she told me that she decided one morning to go down to my grandmother's house just down the hill And she was going to put in a load of laundry because she didn't have a washing machine, and my grandmother did. But I had a cold, and so she rocked me to sleep and put me on her bed. Now, my crib was in the room, but she said she had it stacked full of diapers, and she decided she wasn't going to change it, take all those diapers out and risk waking me up, and she was just going to be a minute. So she took my three-year-old sister and the load of laundry, and she went down to my grandmother's house. And my grandmother um, wanted to talk to her about something, And my mother said uh, to my grandmother, I really can't because Sharon is asleep on my bed. I didn't put her in her crib. She said, we better go out and talk on the porch. And so they went out on the porch, and at that time, my mother saw that our house was on fire. And she said, my little sister, my big sister, who was three, said, Mama, get the baby. (laughs) And my my big sister's been looking out for me ever since. (laughs) And Mother said she ran as fast as she could up that hill, and she said, and then the window of the room I was in blew out. 
And she said she could still to this day hear that sound. And my mama said that she ran into that room, and the first thing she saw when she got there was my crib was a blaze of fire. And she said I was clinging to the headboard, screaming. And that's how I've met every crisis since. <laughs> that's been my pattern. And my mother told me, as only those little southern mothers could, she said to me, Sharon, you should not be here, but God has a purpose for your life. And she said it like this. She said, little lady, <laughs> that's how those southern mothers talk. She said, God has a plan for your life, and it would behoove you to find out what it is. Now, my mother says King James words like behoove. Who says behoove? But my mother says behoove. <laughs> And my mother says, you know, if you sow to the wind, you'll reap the whirlwind, and she speaks King James. She always has, and we tease her about it. But it would be years before I seriously thought about what my mother had said and how she had spoken words of destiny over me. You know, the Bible says that life and death are in the power of the tongue, and you can speak words of life. And I love my mama for that. She knows how to speak words of life over her children and over her grandchildren. And she kept telling me throughout my life, God has a purpose for me. Now, my life sentence at that time, and until I was well into my 20s, was they all had a good time. <laughs> good time was had by all. That was my life sentence. That's what I wanted life to be. But life is not about having just good times. And so... Before long, and before I was, when I was married and I had my first child, I started to think, think seriously about the God things. And I knew I was a Christian. I had accepted Christ by that point, but I was just a tumbleweed, just tumbling through life, and I wasn't sure what I, why I was here. And you remember that song, Is That All There Is? I thought, there's got to be more to this life of faith than I've experienced. And you know what? I have been around the sun 62 times now. And I still know there's more. There's so much more that I haven't tapped of who God is. But I'm on a hunt. And I'm always listening. I've trained my ear to listen to God's voice. And you'll hear it in strange places. You'll hear it with your friends. You'll hear it sometimes in a movie if you'll listen. Just train your ear to hear. We were watching The Patriot, the movie The Patriot, not long ago. And I'm not crazy about that movie because it's kind of blood and gore. And my husband loves all that war stuff. But every now and then I'll sit down and watch with him. But I don't know if you remember the scene, but the scene where the father sits over the dead son and he says, I'm just done. I'm just done. And, he's, and, the, and his um, counterpart, I think he was a French soldier, he said to him, he said, you have no idea what your victories and your defeats mean to others. Stay the course. And I got up from where I was sitting and I wrote that down because I think people have no idea what their victories and their defeats will really mean in this world. Stay the course, Christians. Stay the course. But when I decided I wanted to know God more, one day, you know, God, he hears even the desires of our hearts. And the Bible says that if we seek him, he'll give us the desires of our hearts. And if our desires are wrong, he'll change the desires. But I had a Christian radio station. I turned it on. It was WMIT in Black Mountain, North Carolina. And Billy Graham, I think, founded that station. And uh, Dr. J. Vernon McGee was preaching through the Bible in five years. And it was really an overview. And I would have told you that I believed every word that God said. 
But the truth was I didn't know what he'd said. I didn't know a whole lot of what he'd said. And I couldn't live any longer on my mother's faith. I had to have my own. And so I started listening 30 minutes every day, every day, every day. And I got the big picture, and I got so excited about this word that I couldn't stand it unless I told somebody, and I wore my poor husband out. (laughs) I wore him out until God provided other people to listen to me, and he's so thankful. (laughs) He prays hard for me that I'll keep things to do. But I never really heard of a Bible study. In those days, we didn't have, like, Bible study groups. But God had something for me. And he moved us in his providence to Houston, Texas. And in Houston, Texas, um, I got a call. I didn't know anyone there. It's the first time I'd really been far away from my family and far away from home, and I wasn't sure I liked it there. And I lived next door to a gal who told me that she was possessed by a demon, and I believed it. And uh, I really believed it. I still believe it. <laughs> but anyway, I just if you tell me you've got a demon, I just believe it. <laughs> I'm going to pray over you, but I believe it. But um, I, I just had these two little children, and I wasn't sure where I fit in the body of Christ. And when I was nine years old, I had met a girl in Newark, Illinois. I only lived there one year, and knew, uh, her name is Cynthia, and Cynthia is mentally challenged. And she has been my friend to this day, and we have been down some roads together, Cynthia and I. And she called me up, and she said, Sharon, that's what she calls me, she said, you know, our friend... Um, Sally Hollenbach's daughter lives in Houston. Well, I knew Sally, too, and I loved Sally, but I'd never met her daughter. And she said, she's a Jesus lover. And I thought to myself, that's great, Cynthia. You know, Houston's huge, huge city. But she expected me to get together with this person. She ended up living about three blocks from me. And that woman was a Bible teacher. And she had a Bible study in her home, and she invited me, and I think she was sorry because I talked nonstop. (laughs) She kept telling me to start one of my own. (laughs) I think she wanted to be rid of me. And then she invited me. She invited me to her church, and they had a big Bible study, and they had all kinds of groups you could join. And I joined with this 81-year-old woman who was a teacher, and she was teaching Knowing God. And my friend Wilma called me up, and she said, Sharon, I don't think you really want to be in that group. It's going to be just several old women. And she said, really, um, there are all kinds of groups about how to raise your children and how to love your husband. And I said, well, I figure if I know God, I'll figure out all the rest of that, <laughs> how to raise my children and how to, how to love my husband. And so I stayed with Lillian Kimry, and what she taught me was so much. She taught me what it was to stand in the presence of God. And she used to say to me, Sharon, she was English. She was an English missionary. She said, do not rush into the presence of God. She said, you go into the God's presence with reverence. And then one day we had a speaker at that group. And you never know what a speaker will say that will stick. But this speaker, his name was Peter Kimmer. He happened to be her son. And I don't know what he talked about, but he gave me one thing, and he said this. He said, the secret to failure in the Christian life is failure in secret. And I thought, I won't fail there. Lord, by your grace, I won't fail in the secret place. I won't fail in the quiet place. I will spend the time with you before I spend the time with someone else. And before I speak to an audience, I'll spend my time with you. And as a young family, having a young family, I began to put into practice everything that I was learning. And God was teaching me to build my fortresses in the times of peace. 
And he was teaching me to build the foundation of my life on truth. And I began to practice on my children and practice on my husband. I'm still practicing on my husband. (laughs) Bless his heart. Anyway, one day I read this. Know well the condition of your flocks and pay attention to your herds. And I knew my little flock consisted of three little lambs. And they were a little like Jacob's flock, you know, striped and streaked and mottled. They're an odd-looking little group. And I named them Kim and Kate and Thomas, and my Kim, my oldest, is here with me today. And I started to pay attention to those three little people. And I remember what Jesus said. He said to us, It is not right to take the children's bread and give it to the dogs. And friend, there are so many things, I look at you young moms, there are so many things begging, so many dogs begging for your time and attention. They're, they're, it's, it's Pinterest, it's, it's technology, it's emails, it's cell phones. It's, we're interrupted everywhere we look, but you have such a short amount of time to pack your children's spiritual bags for this life. You have a short time. And I know the days are long, but the years are so short. And ask those of us who are so dizzy from going around the sun. And those of you who are grandmothers, you have an opportunity to build into these little lives. I was just at the beach with my little granddaughter, Krista. I can't go without telling you something about my granddaughters or my grandchildren, which I love and adore. I never knew that could be so much fun. But we were holding sticky little hands as we walked back from the shore, and Krista just says whatever she thinks. And she says to me, Mimi, she said, God made Mimi's to love like he made birds to tweet. (laughs) You know, they know if you love them. You don't have all the answers, but they know if you, you know how to love them. And we want to love them to Jesus. And I talked to her about Jesus, and one day she said, Mimi, I didn't know he was real. You know, they're so, used to, they're so used to this fantasy world they have going on, and I think, we want to make him real. And you know, one of my little uh, lambs, I-, I called her my little foreigner because I had not a clue where she came from. She was my middle child, and we were just always missing each other, just missing each other. I, I couldn't figure her out. She couldn't figure me out. And I began to pray that God would give me his method for raising this child. Because our children are different. And I noticed that God in his word dealt differently. And I was particularly reading the story of Jacob that time and how God just dealt so differently with Jacob than he did with um, Abraham or Isaac. And I said, Lord, I I need your method for this little foreign child you've sent to me. Um, You didn't give me an instruction book, and I'm not doing so hot. And she wasn't liking me very much, and (laughs) I was praying to love her more. (laughs) And... um, I'm just going to be honest. (laughs) Uh, I've had many days that I walked into my room and said, Lord, (laughs) they're going to see Jesus sooner than they want to if you don't help the mother. (laughs) And I remember, uh, you know, redheads were known to have a temper. And uh, I, I, I have struggled with that parenting. And I failed lots of times. But you know what? If you fail that's okay. You're just developing some spiritual muscles. You, you, you get to try again, and children are just so forgiving. And I prayed, God, give me your method for this child so she can make it to adulthood. <laughs> Sane. 
And she told me once, she, she was just so mad at me, and she goes, I tell you one thing, when I grow up, I'm not going to teach the Bible. <laughs> and, and she's a Jesus lover today, and isn't that the way? Whatever we say we're not going to do, we end up doing. But um, this little one, she just had me stymied. And one day, she wrote me a note, and she said this. We'd had a little spat about something, and she said, Mom, she said, and I read it to Kim this morning and to Tom, because I've kept our notes she and I have written over the years, and she said, Mom, she said, the thing is, you and Kim and Thomas are all encyclopedias, but Dad and I are dictionaries. <laughs> and she said, when I ask you... <laughs> What an ocean is, you go on and on about how many oceans and what's in the ocean. She said, I don't want to know that. I just want to know it's a big body of water. (laughs) And I saw that child saw pictures. And I saw that we we could take the toxicity out by communicating by notes. And Year after year after year, Kate and I, I would write her stories and give her pictures because she has to see things. And I can hear it. I'm an auditory learner. I can hear it. She has to see it. And so I would write her stories and give her pictures, and she would give them back to me. And one of my favorites was she wrote me once, and she said, Mom, you start firing questions at me, and my head goes in a knot. (laughs) See the picture? I can't answer you because I asked her why she didn't throw the ball back when I would say things. And, you know, God gave me that. And I love those. And, and I was showing Kim this morning one of the pictures she wrote for me. She drew these pictures of the ugliest men you'd ever want to see. And at the top of the page she wrote, where did you find Dad? <laughs> and I thought that was so cute because, you know, she was surveying what was available to her. And she's like, I'm really looking for somebody like my dad. And, and I loved it because you look back and you just see, you just see how God was so involved in our lives. Don't give the precious time to the dogs. Save it. Give them the crumbs. But give the bread to the children. It's not right to take the children's bread and give it to the dogs. And you and I know that during this time, I was mothering and smothering and hovering and building fences around my children. I was also teaching the word of God to women. And God kept sending women into my life, unusual women. I like unusual people. I like all kinds of people. I'm so thankful for that. I just love, love. The odder you are, the better I like it (laughs) Um, because I'm going to learn something. And all of us have something special to give. And some came to help me, and some came because they needed help. And many had deep, deep troubles. And I have spent the night on the floor of a waiting room in a hospital with one of the shyest women I've ever known, whose three-year-old had been burned to death in a fire, and whose husband was up in a room waiting to find out how serious his burns were from trying to rescue that baby. And I have stood by the caskets, and I have listened long at my kitchen table to women's marriages who have unraveled. And I have listened to the pain and the suffering of grandparents who feel marginalized by their children and who are lost without them and do not know the way back. And I have tried to share with them words of hope 
because our God is a God of hope. And I wondered over the years why God had sent me so many troubled ones, so many with problems too big for me, God-sized problems. And I often had no answers, but I could stand with them and identify with their suffering. You don't have to have all the answers, but you can weep with those who weep, and you can pray for those who need you. And I have kept my prayer boat so full sometimes that I was tempted to abandon it and swim for shore. (laughs) But I've prayed, and I believe in prayer. And one day, while I was reading my Bible, I came across a passage in Isaiah 65 where God was talking about his people and how all day long he kept reaching out to them. For people who weren't seeking him, although they were pretending to be holy, and they were sin-sick, and God was going to act and judge, and judgment is called elsewhere God's strange work, because we can't exhaust the patience of even God. But when his people set up an idol in their lives, God gets involved. Read your Bible, and you will see that I'm telling the truth. If you get an idol going in your life, God will mess with you, because he knows it will destroy you. But God said, there's still some good in this land. There's still some good grapes. There's still some good here. And I'm going to send my servants to bring the blessings. And then I read this verse. And Sharon shall be a field for flocks, and the valley of Achor a resting place for herds, for my people who seek me. That's what my life has been. I've just been a field. I've been a field where people could come where they could learn about a great and mighty Lord, where they could learn to love their neighbors, (laughs) where they could get to know their neighbors. Wherever I've been, whether it's Houston, Texas, or North Carolina, or Tennessee, or St. Louis, Missouri, or Vancouver, Washington, or here in Cincinnati, I have the same pattern. I want you all to know my Jesus. Because what a difference he's made in my life. And he's made it abundant even in the hard, hard times. And that little phrase in the Valley of Acor, you know what it means? It means the Valley of Trouble. You're going to be a resting place sharing for people in trouble. And then I caught it. I said, that's me. That's who I am. I'm a resting place. That's why God sends the troubled ones, because they can rest here. I can't do, I can't solve all the problems. But I can love them through it, and I can stand beside them, and I get that. I can be that place. Make no mistake, he has not left me without testing me on my own material. He's not going to let us sell goods off an empty wagon. And I have had the Category 5 storms hit my life, too. And I have prayed the begging prayers. And I have lived what I have told others to do. And I have found my way with my knees to my earth, asking the Lord for his help. I'm no stranger to pain in this life. And I've been given innumerable opportunities to trust the Lord. In my latest trial that I've been in, God has said, trust me from Psalm 37 and do good. And that's what he wants us to do. And when we get to those places, God says, will you trust me here? Will you love me? Will you believe that this is part of the grand design and this will enlarge you? And I read that in Psalm 25 when the psalmist says, 
be gracious, turn to me and be gracious, O Lord, for I'm lonely and afflicted. And when you are in affliction, it is a lonely place, no matter who's there. And he says, the troubles of my heart are enlarged. Oh, bring me out of my distresses. And I said, I, amen, <laughs> get us out of this. But then I read what he said later. He said, you have enlarged me when I was in distress. You made me a bigger person. I know more now what it is. I have more compassion. And, you know, I also learned in 1 Corinthians 1, when Paul said that life just got too big for him, he said it was too much for him to endure. And he said, this happened that we might learn to trust in God and not in ourselves. You know, it's easy to say you trust God when things are just going great, but when they're hard, when life is hard, that's where you learn to trust him. And to just come before him and lay your cares before him. And friends, if you're in a hard place today, the hard word is never the last word in the Bible. I'm going to say that again. The hard word's never the last word. You need to know that. You need to know that when life looks dark and when it looks difficult. I, um, I'm reminded again of Jacob, and Jacob has taught me so much because the Bible says the heart is deceitful above all things. Who can know it? and desperately wicked. We don't know our own hearts, and Jacob didn't know his. And Jacob found himself one day in Genesis 28 in a wilderness. And in that wilderness, Jacob was there because of his own devices. He deceived his father, cheated his brother, and he had to leave home because of it, because his brother was so angry with him he was ready to murder him. And Jacob laid down one night after about a three days journey, and he put his head on a rock to sleep, and I've been on some of those pillows, haven't you? (laughs) Pillowed my head on some rocks. And he had a dream, and in that dream, he saw angels ascending and descending on a ladder, and at the top of that ladder, he saw God. And God began to speak his promises in this dark place, in this place he'd gotten into because of his own sin. And God began to speak promises over him and said, Jacob, I'm going to bless you. And I'm going to bring you back here. And wherever you go, I'm going to be with you. And what an amazing thing would God would speak to him because God had a plan for his life. And God was going to provide for him. And Jacob woke up and said, surely God is in this place. And I didn't know it. You know, friends, in your hard place, God's in that place. And he says that can be the very gateway of heaven for you. You know, Elizabeth Elliot, my friend, I love Elizabeth Elliot. I don't know how many people of you listen to Elizabeth on the radio, but she used to say every situation, if offered to Jesus, can become a gateway to joy. And sometimes when I'm in a hard spot, I lift that thing. I get on my knees and just symbolically I lift it up to the Lord and I say turn this into a gateway to joy. Because I'm going to get to know you better here. This is going to be an opportunity for me to live what I say I believe. He said, how awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God and the gate of heaven. And the gate of heaven is a place of authority. And he said, I have a place here and I can talk to God. And he's sending his angels. And he saw that there was an unseen world going on. And you know what, friends? That's the real world. If you and I could only peel back the layers and see And see the angels. And wherever I've been in really hard times, God sent the angels, and sometimes it's been a person. When my daughter came down with a chronic illness, 
and I had to take her to the hospital, and they told me they thought she had a pulmonary embolism, and I walked down that hall, and there came one of God's angels to me. And it was a man in our church who was a radiologist who happened to be my best friend's husband, and he took care of us. And God sent the angels. And you can be an angel to somebody. You can be that person that goes, that's willing to do the hard thing. This can be the place that's the gateway to heaven for you. And you have in your book somewhere a sentence that's going to sum up your life. If you think through the scriptures, I bet some of you could come up with them. If I said Abraham, you'd probably say believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. And if I said Joseph, you'd probably say, God, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And you might, I might say Ruth, and you'd say, we know you're a woman of noble character, because these are, these are words. And I asked my daddy, I was just there this last week, and he's 86, and I said, Daddy, do you have a life verse? And he told me one years ago, and I wondered if he'd say the same one. And he said, yes. He said, I, I like the one that says, I am what I am. And I said to him years ago, I don't think that's a verse, Daddy, but I looked it up in my concordance, and oh, yes, it is. It's the Apostle Paul who said, by the grace of God. I am what I am. And I thought how God had delivered my father and my family from poverty. And how he'd given him that, it's by the grace of God. And God's favor on our lives. And that's what he wants to do for you. But if you are here today and you don't know your life sentence, but you know you're a believer in him, just ask him. God delights to show you, and as you read and you study, something will hit you. I have a new friend in this room, and she told me that she came to Christ through this verse, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. And I have a feeling that's going to be her life verse. That might be her life sentence that she'll be telling people. But if you don't have a life sentence, ask for one. Seek, and you will find. But if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, you don't have a life sentence. You have a death sentence. The Bible says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Life and death separated by just a comma, just one comma, and you are that close or you are that far from salvation. If you don't know Jesus today, won't you ask him to commute your death sentence and turn it into a life sentence, an abundant life sentence, and receive the free gift of salvation. It's as easy as ABC. Admit you're a sinner. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and by faith, receive him into your heart. And confess with your mouth your decision. Just tell somebody. And I want to pray about that, and I want to pray for you, that someone here today will ask the Lord, I want a new heart. And God is the only one that can do that. God's the only one that can do a miracle, and that's a miracle. And you will find that your heart will be strangely warmed and that he will begin a good work in you and a work that he has promised he'll complete. Pray with me. Holy Spirit, I just pray for that person today that needs you moving in their life. And Lord, I pray that they would admit that they're a sinner and that they can't solve their own problems and that you would take away their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh and that you would fill them with your love. 
And Father, if they would say today, Lord Jesus, I want you to save me and make me your child, I pray that you would confirm it in your heart. And we ask this in faith, believing that you are God who hears and answers prayers. And if you in your heart today are saying, Jesus, that's me, that's me, then I invite you and I welcome you into the family of God and into the sisterhood of which we, those of us who believe Christ belong. And if you have, we ask Jesus, we ask him in his precious mighty name to give you that assurance and to give you a brand new start and to give you a life sentence that will enrich you and will bless others and will bring glory to God. And we pray this in the strong, in the mighty name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen. And we have a little book for anyone who's done that, or maybe you're just considering becoming a Christian. Would you see one of us, or would you come forward? And if you want someone to pray with you, we'd be happy to. Thank you so much for your time and for your attention. God bless.